<laughs> Greetings, citizens. You're now trapped in a nerd cage with your hosts, Mark and Jay. We hope you have a smashing good time. <laughs> Hello and welcome. That's right, you're trapped in nerd cage live this ain't just a reaction show but a debate show and a live discussion on everything that makes people like you and i tick so thank you for joining us tonight please hit that like button and subscribe i'm your co-host jay saying she comes to you live from syracuse new york and always with me my man the fiend from louisville the warrior for wakanda mark weathers what's shaking man Hey, what's going on, man? Super excited to be here as usual. And yes, tonight's look back is going to focus on the 20th anniversary of M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable. Now, this movie has a special place in my heart because as a comic book fan, as a fan of superheroes, it kind of deconstructs the making of a superhero in a way that if you lived in a world where superheroes existed, but it wasn't such a comic booky kind of world, this mm -hmm. is kind of how an origin story would look. Jay, I know that you're not the biggest M. Night Shyamalan fan, but I wanted I to kind of see what your <laughs> thoughts were on this movie. Okay, again, like you, you just hit it that I, I am not an M. Night Shyamalan fan. I was not a fan of The Sixth Sense, even when that first came out. And I could probably make, we could probably make a whole episode about all the movies he did that I didn't like. But as far as Unbreakable goes, um, not a bad movie by any stretch. I'm not a huge fan of it, but there are moments. There's some moments I can take that I can appreciate. There's some cinematography right. moments I can appreciate. And I'm a big Bruce Willis fan, and he knocked it out of the park. You know, mm -hmm. you only can, he only can do so much of what he's got to work with. Um, but here's a fascinating thing for me as I'm sitting here rewatching this film. One of my favorite movies of all time, top five movie of all time, is Pulp Fiction. Right. And one thing we didn't get in Pulp Fiction, despite that we had Bruce Willis and the great Sam Jackson, is mm -hmm. they didn't have any on-screen time together at all. Right. right. Maybe just a brief second at the bar, but they didn't interact. So this was pretty fascinating to watch. We got to finally see the two of them interact and the chemistry between the two of them, the dynamic, the potential would-be hero and would-be villain is there and it's awesome. Right. So that's what the I love what this movie gave us. Right, right. And it's interesting that you uh, sort of bring up, you know, these on-screen scenes between the two of them that we didn't get in Pulp Fiction. Now, if you recall, we actually did get them together in Die Hard with a Vengeance. And they became good friends on the set of that movie. And it was the strength of that friendship that sort yeah. of allowed this casting to take place. So there's some interesting details about sort of the making of this movie, right? So right off the heels of The Sixth Sense, or rather during post-production of the, of the Sixth Sense, M. Night Shyamalan started writing the script for this movie, and he specifically wrote it with these two actors in mind. Um, yeah. you know, he kind of brought it up to Bruce Willis while they were sort of finishing up that movie. And then the next time that Bruce Willis saw Samuel L. Jackson, he kind of told him like, hey, there's this project that you know, M. Night is doing you know, this, that he's gonna try to put together. He wants you to, to play the villain in the, in the movie. And so based off of that camaraderie, they were 
you know, more than willing to kind of work on it together and start this and start this project together. Another interesting fact is that the character of Audrey, uh, David Dunn's wife, was originally supposed to be played by Julianne Moore, but she dropped Ooh. out of the project prematurely because there was a scheduling conflict with Hannibal. Yep. So, so she so she dropped out, and then Robin Wright Penn was cast to take her place. Oh wow, man, digging out the facts, and I'm, I'm kicking myself in the head right now because I completely forgot about Die Hard Three. <laughs> I think I'm so focused on Die Hard One, I forgot about the other ones. <laughs> Which is my favorite of the Die Hard movies. Like one one day we'll have to uh, go through like a like a top, you know, yeah. top list, like you know, basically like an order of the Die Hard movies. But that one is my favorite out of all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Now the um, okay. Now the big twist to me wasn't like the big twist because I, I feel like the the build up. You know, there's a slow burn, but the build. I feel like there was really little payoff with this movie. Mm -hmm. But some another more stuff I can appreciate. The use of color. Yes. For example, uh, when we see Sam Jackson's character as a child, he's opened up that the, his his gift there, his present. Right. It's, it's wrapped in purple, mm -hmm. and then he opens it. You see, you see the. Uh, it, it's called Active Comics. Obviously, it's 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 a spoof of Action Comics. Right. Uh, right. But again, it's the the wrapping inside the package is purple. And of mm -hmm. course, he wears like the purple suit, which he also see in the sequel. Um, but the use of purple uh, on on the character, and as well as like when you see the um, when Bruce Willis's character uh, David Dunn, when he when he comes in contact with someone and he sees like the crimes they've committed, mm -hmm. there's like a, a color that they would wear and it would stick out. Like I like the the use of like the of the bright color over the black and white palette there. I just think I just love the use of color in the movie. I mm -hmm. think it's, it's it's done very very well. Yes, and uh, interestingly enough, that was an idea that was pitched by Samuel L. Jackson. So you know we have these two characters, and uh, he had the idea that the hero should be in all green, and all of his scenes, the surroundings should be green, and that the villain should uh, all be in purple. You know. And the reason why he was thinking that is because if you look at like a color wheel, specifically like a CMYK color wheel, green and purple are diametric opposites. So green okay. is directly across from purple. And, uh, and you know, if you notice, if you look really closely, in the very beginning of the film, Bruce Willis is generally in brighter colors, like sp specifically yellow, like he's dressed in yellow, or like a light kind of tan color. Um, the kitchen that he's in in one of the scenes is all yellow. Uh, some of the other scenes, everything is like a canary color. Yeah. So as the film progresses, you start to see more and more green be introduced. And green, if you look at like the meanings behind certain colors, green represents security, it, re it represents growth, and it represents strength. So as he starts to develop and realize like what his abilities are and, and his capabilities and he becomes more confident, you see more and more green come out until the very, until at the very end, you see him in all green. So as for Samuel L. Jackson's character, Elijah Price, him being in all purple, purple is sort of the color of nobility, of eccentricity, of, uh, of ambition. And, mm -hmm. and all of those um, attributes you can sort of put on Elijah Price, on Mr. Glass. Yep. And so, you know, when you kind of put those things together, it kind of makes for this interesting color palette. Yeah. 
Now, especially with the villains, like whenever he like kind of like puts his hands out and kind of gets the intuition and kind of see yeah. all of those, all of those images, the the character, like the, the the person who's committing the crime is either in orange or in red. And that is to sort of separate them from the regular muted colors throughout the rest of the film. So it was an interesting thing that Samuel L. Jackson pitched to M. Night that that he thought was a, a good enough idea. And it wound up being one of the most powerful points in the in the movie. And one more thinking about the color purple and that I don't think that they're going for in this movie, but I couldn't help but think the color purple uh, means death in Japan. So yeah, you have all of these hidden meanings that maybe you didn't catch on the first go around, yeah. but then, you know, the more often you watch it or, you know, when you sit down to kind of analyze the film, you can kind of see these, these uh, colors being used to kind of tell their own story behind the actual story. And another thing I can appreciate, and, and this is why I'm so thankful I'm doing this channel with you, because you, uh, when we did our Superman 2 look back uh, a while ago, you brought up the whole uh, George Reeves at the at the birthday party and the kid in the gun. Right. And we get that scene in this yeah. movie, in the kitchen. And Bruce Willis even said, listen, if you shoot me, the bullet's going to bounce. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Not, yeah. It didn't dawn on me seeing this movie 20 years about rewatching it. And I'm so glad it was good timing because we just rewatched Superman 2 and it all comes <laughs> together and it all came together. I'm like, wow. So what, yeah. what are your thoughts on that scene? So I had the immediate, um, you know, that that was my immediate reaction as well. Like when I first watched it, I didn't pick up on that because I didn't really know that story. But then watching it again uh, last night, I kind of remembered that, you know, I was like, oh, wow, they actually took this element which is a part of real life and like actually put that into the movie, which I thought was brilliant, you know? And so, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, just, it's just little touches like that, that I think make this movie really special. Yeah, absolutely. And also another thing we have to talk about too. I mean, this movie was already being in production long before. I mean, I know X-Men came out first, but this movie was already in production and being filmed before X-Men even came out. So right. this was like a superhero movie that was being made before the whole big superhero movement. Right, right. And the interesting thing about it, I mean, it only kind of postdates X-Men by like a few months, right? Yeah. So it was actually being developed as part of a first look deal for Disney. And Disney being not really in the superhero business at the time because they hadn't purchased Marvel. There was no MCU, you know, the the idea of making a quote unquote superhero movie was kind of poisonous at the time because of movies like Batman and Robin failing and things like that. So their idea, you know, they, they were interested in the idea, but they wanted it to sort of be restructured as a thriller, like as sort of like a psychological thriller. And the original story for it was supposed to be three parts. So it was supposed to be, you know, David Dunn's origin, and then you were supposed to have a supervillain's origin, and then you have the big uh, climactic uh, ending, you know, like you have this sort of big battle at the end, which is typical of most comic book movies. But they decided to sort of retool it and make it more of a of a uh, of an origin story for David Dunn and and to try to kind of break it apart 
and on the one hand, make it as realistic as possible and give it as much verisimilitude as possible. But on the other hand, sort of deconstruct the whole uh, the whole comic book genre and kind of look at each archetype and kind of define each archetype within the story. And I don't think that had ever been done before. And I think that the reason why that's important is because it influenced other other films, other comic book movies coming forward, you know, going forward. And I think that you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have a Batman Begins or you wouldn't have like, uh, you know, some of the other films like in the MCU uh, with stories written the way they were without this movie being written the way that it was. I'm glad you just mentioned that because one of the, um, this is not a knock on the MCU, but the, the most of the main tropes in the MCU movies is you got the superhero origin and then the villain was the exact opposite. Yes. You know, so basically in the first Iron Man, you had, you know, there was Tony Stark and then, and then of course, um, Big Lebowski there with his, um, <laughs> Jeff Bridges, I'm sorry, Jeff Bridges right. with his like, you know, mechanized suit, you know, but he was mm-hmm. the evil version. You know, we, we get these polar opposites in like every single MCU movie. Um, but this movie, like they, they, they just, they dove in on it. Like Sam Jackson says, we are opposites on the same, but on the same curve right on opposite ends so like they they dwell on that so they so yeah you're right so i think i feel like every you know superhero movie that came after like you know copied and pasted that but put it in their own way and one more thing i want to appreciate about the movie too is the um is the very very beginning where where he's on the train he takes the wedding ring off and he starts you know hitting on that uh, that sports agent gal Mm -hmm. and then he said out loud like you know, but he's in a flirtatious manner saying like, yeah, I'd like to be a power swimmer or whatever like that. But then he said, I'm afraid of water, though. Is that right. going to be a problem? And then look, come to find out, you know, he was actually afraid of water. And he even said, I found what your kryptonite is, you know, right. water and so on and so forth. So I thought that was a clever touch. If he didn't, I know it wasn't really, it was kind of glossed over, glossed over. But when you rewatch the film, you're like, oh, OK, I see you were going there. Right. Right. I mean, there's lots of little interesting little touches that that kind of make the movie pop in that way. You know, I wanted to kind of touch on speaking of that, I kind of wanted to touch on like like a small piece of the movie, which is the orange suit man. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who hasn't seen it or or maybe it was a long time since you saw it, there's a character towards the end of the movie that is basically a serial killer that uh, David Dunn goes in to to sort of defeat, to sort of save some some people. Yeah. Um, that character was originally supposed to be the Horde. So the Horde is the is James McAvoy's character from Split and from Glass. The original oh. idea was that uh, you'd have David Dunn's origin in the first act, and somewhere within the second or the third act, you'd be introduced to the Horde, and the Horde would actually fight David Dunn in these children would be at stake so somewhere along the way they decided that it would be a little too messy to try to like bring in the horde's origin in the same movie and so they just simplified that character i never would have known that yeah Uh another fact about that is that the scene in the train station where david dunn is actually like putting his hands out and kind of like letting people touch him and he's kind of getting these flashes and you see a mother and her young son and you see that the son being abused by the mother and stuff like that. there's just like a quick flash of that 
So there was a fan theory that came out around the time of Split. They basically, the, the fan theory was that that was a young Kevin, that that was a young version of that, of, of the Horde. And- Oh, uh, okay, and, I, can, I when, can see that. Yeah, and when Glass came out, M. Night Shyamalan confirmed that that was the intended case, that he oh. was supposed to be the Horde as a child. Okay, okay. So since you brought it up, I feel like we we couldn't do this look back without talking about the the two movies that eventually followed. So the first one being Split. Now, okay. again, I um I enjoyed Split because I felt like Split was kind of the movie that quote unquote saved M Night Shyamalan's career because yeah, yeah. after Signs, it was like a free fall of bad movies. Like I yeah, never like I wasn't a fan of them to begin with. But then it was just getting to the point where, like, he was just making an ass of himself with every movie he put out. Yeah. And then here comes Split. And then, of course, I didn't know going in that, you know, obviously, spoiler, at the very end of Split, you find out it's in the same cinematic universe as Unbreakable. And you see right. David Dunn at the very end of the movie. Um. So, yeah, I, like I said, I enjoyed Split a lot more than his other movies. I don't think it's as good as Unbreakable. But I will say this, though. In a nutshell, Split's just entertaining because it's the, I would call it like an acting reel for James McAvoy is what that movie pretty much is. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. You know, this is the movie that, you know, James McAvoy really gets to sort of spread his wings and kind mm -hmm. of like show his range and like what, what he can really do. And there's no other movie that he's done where you really get to see him play such extreme roles and, yeah. and, and play them with such ease and such power, you know? And, uh, and and you're right. I think that, you know, if he were to do just one movie <laughs> yep. and then like people ask like, well, you know, how good is this guy? You just kind of just put this one movie on and it kind of just shows all these different roles that he gets to play and very convincingly. And so, Absolutely. you know, he's kind of a one man show in, in that, he, despite the it, fact it's that entertaining. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's not because it's what, what his characters do. He's doing horrific things, but then he's got his other, his other personalities that come out there, are, you know, that are amusing. Right. Um, but like, I, I don't really need that movie to, to say like, I, I know how good the guy is, but if you really want to see it on full display, like you said, it's that one, right. um, but th this is you know. Here's, here's the thing, though. Going into what was going to be the third movie, Glass. Now, after watching the end of Split, mm -hmm. I was pumped, and I, right. I walked out of the theater saying, "Oh my god, we're going to get another Unbreakable movie." Right. And shortly after the official announcement came out, the third movie's coming out, Glass. Mm -hmm. And then I remember seeing the first trailer for Glass. I remember how hyped I was, and I'm sorry, I saw Glass and I hated it i was so <laughs> let down i mean everything was there for me to make this like to be the grand finale i right. loved how they made david dunn a vigilante working with his with his son it right. was beautiful but it just it just but the rest of the movie didn't work i mean i was looking forward to the clash and it just didn't work for me i i i ugh. i hated i hated glass with a passion i'm sorry yeah. So now M. Night Shyamalan's back on the shit list as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> now, I actually liked uh, Glass quite a bit. Wow. I mean, it, it definitely <laughs> had its problems, but I thought that it was an apt sequel 
you know, in the, in the sense that, you know, here you have in the very beginning and the very first act, you have David Dunn kind of fulfilling his destiny as a crime fighter, as a yeah. full blown superhero, his son, who's now an adult yep. is actually helping him with it, which, you know, he's the, the one person that actually like believed in him from the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. All that, all that made perfect sense. You know, once, you know, um, once they're sort of captured and you know david dunn's kind of put in this asylum mm -hmm. with mr glass and with the horde that you know here you have this psychiatrist that comes along with these very reasonable explanations as to why he can do what he does why the horde can do what he does you know and and uh all of this makes sense it was really for me where it fell apart was the third act yeah. it just didn't really come together the way that it should and you know i won't give any spoilers as far as like the the very end because it's still as, relatively like, new it's still a relatively new film but i just didn't really think that the the purpose of what they did at the very end like really helped to to move anything forward you know like it did it didn't really um it, re it didn't really pack the punch that it needed to for like the end of a trilogy. It didn't really resolve anything the way yeah. that it should. And so like, you know, I I, can't, I still enjoyed it, but mm -hmm. I, I didn't, it wasn't as good as I expected it to be, you know, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, and truth be told, despite as much as I, I disliked the, um, the you know, the, the, the third movie, I wouldn't rule out seeing another movie with David Dunn. If, right. you know that's just my I, I like the character enough to like all right if they maybe they if they gave him another chance in a, in a better sequel i'm all for it right but right. but as like i said but the trilogy the, the end of the trilogy was just an absolute letdown because like i said uh unbreakable you know had its i'm not a huge fan but had its moments mm -hmm. split was entertaining right and then just the third movie was about you know it, it's it's the part three curse you know it's so yeah. hard it's sometimes a part three curses. It's just, it's inevitable. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame that they didn't really, I mean, I, I'm just speculating of course, but it seems to me like they, they had a, probably a, a pretty solid handle on this sort of three part arc that they were originally like thinking about. And for whatever reason, they, they probably made changes along the way and didn't stick to that original formula. And I think that if they had, we probably would have gotten a much stronger trilogy yeah also they waited too long you know in my opinion they waited way too long between unbreakable and split and that's just it because he yeah. kept doing these other movies and they were all so bad i mean right they probably should have followed up unbreakable a little bit sooner and maybe he may but again to be fair i'm actually happy for m night Shyamalan to find you know that he found his footing back for a moment when right. when split first came out because like i said he was hitting the hard you know downslope you know between the village the happening uh the last airbender like he mm -hmm. was on a free fall and yeah. it was getting it was getting bad like i said split like saved his career and then then glass comes out and it's just like uh so maybe just maybe whatever he has planned next maybe he can redeem himself once more we'll have to wait yeah yeah we'll have to see we'll have to just wait and see so my closing thoughts on unbreakable again coming from a man that's not an M. Night Shyamalan fan. Um, the movie is all right. I'm not a, I'm not gonna bash it, but like I just said before, there's stuff that I can take away that I can appreciate. Right. Um, and, and that's what I'll give is, I feel like there, there's a lot, there's a lot there to appreciate. 
and th- th- I feel like it's been an, an influential film because of it. Right. Okay. And, and that's a fair point. You know, my assessment is that uh, while it's not a perfect film, and while some parts of it don't age as well as you would probably expect, mm-hmm. it is without a doubt one of the most important films to the comic book genre. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the sense that it really changed the game. It changed how everybody sort of looks at um, at comic books and looks at the way a comic book film should be written. I think that it, it very deeply influenced everything that came after it. And, you know, the potential for this story to to continue and to actually be told in a, you know, in a, in a new and exciting and more powerful way is still there. And I hope we do see more from the David Dunn character in the future. Absolutely. So at the time of this recording, uh, we just want to let everybody know that uh, our last live stream with uh, Joey Z of Life of Agony was an absolute blast. I'm still smiling ear to ear over it. Thank you to everyone who came. For those who didn't make it, please go back and watch that stream. And also, there's also a small clip of a really terrific Ozzy story. And Joey, you know, shared not only he shared about what's going on with the band and his musical side, but we got to talk a lot about, you know, you know, Godzilla and and the shiny and other stuff like that, that, you know, other nerd stuff that he was into. It was just an absolute joy. And Mark, I'm so glad we did that. You know, it was an absolute blast to have Joey Z there with us. Um, you know, thanks to everybody that that showed up for that stream. And, uh, you know, he has said uh, sort of off camera that he is uh, more than willing to come back and kind of I spend some more time with us. And so we'll be doing that sometime in 2021. So please be on the lookout for that. Yes. And we just wanted to share with you real quick is uh, speaking of Bruce Willis, we are going to be debating is Die Hard a Christmas movie on December 3rd. And then we're going to finish out the year with two great guests. We're going to have Titan Goji, a uh, very well-known Kaiju YouTuber. He's got over 10,000 subscribers coming to debate us what the best Christmas movie of all time is. And obviously, we're going to talk you know, more Kaiju stuff as well. And then we're going to end the year strong with Scorpion's Revenge Watch Party with Master Daniel Pacino, who's agreed to come back. So we're going to end 2020 strong. And, of course, be on the lookout for more lookbacks this year and we're gonna come up stronger than ever in 2021 so thank you to everyone who's been on this ride with us as far as 2020 being you know as bad as it was you guys have really stepped up and sort of made this a positive thing for us and sort of helped this channel to grow and so we appreciate you we really hope that you stick around we're only going to get better at this so you know again much thanks absolutely so before we go we ask you to pretty please like comment subscribe ring that bell and spread this shit like so to usa from louisville to syracuse and to all of our friends and fans around the world at nerd cage live enjoy life stay safe and good night sayonara Ooh, trying to get out of the nerd cage are ya well before you go hit that subscribe button And if you're really intrigued, ring that bell. Thank you for dropping by. Until next time, tell everyone you know about Nerdcage Live!